everybody, how's it going today? I'm Pylon with the UESP and we've got a little bit of an exciting special video for you all today. We're coming here with the uh, Call to Arms folks with the Imperial Library. So as you'll see, there's a few faces with me here, so I'll let them introduce themselves in a minute. But at first, I want to introduce our friend from the Imperial Library, Benefactor. How are you doing today, Benefactor? Doing well. Um, I'm Benefactor from the Imperial Library. Um, if you're not familiar with the Imperial Library, it's a website that deals with archiving all of the lore for the Elder Scrolls. If you enjoy the lore of the Elder Scrolls, then please check us out. Yeah, and I'm from the UESP, which I realize this video might go up on not just the UESP stuff, so I should probably introduce ourselves. The UESP is the unofficial Elder Scrolls pages. Uh, we're very similar to the Imperial Library and great friends and colleagues with them, whereas we document basically everything on the wiki that has to do with the Elder Scrolls games. So not just the lore, whereas Imperial Library focuses on the lore. We also focus on the lore quite a bit, but it's also just much broader sense in the game at the wiki. So we get along great with the Imperial Library. We love doing stuff with each other. We kind of have this... Uh, relationship where our members kind of pass over and forth and pretty much everybody uh belongs together so it's really great for that but uh benefactor do you want to kind of let us know what we're doing here and what we're doing with these uh folks today so today we're going to be interviewing modifius um which is the creators of call to arms if you're not familiar call to arms is a wargaming uh version of the elder scrolls currently they are releasing skyrim uh, chapters which will deal with this uh, with figurines and setting of skyrim the game yeah it's really awesome if you haven't got a chance to check it out make sure you go and look at all the content they've created for it it's this the models themselves are just so beautiful like i haven't uh i haven't been able to get my hands on any of them yet uh it's been because it's 2020 everything's a little bit harder this year <laughs> so i've been looking to get some of them but even like some of the ones you released recently the dragon oh my gosh it's beautiful so kudos to that uh but yeah we want to get a chance to talk to you guys because you're you're kind of the newest uh members of the elder scrolls family which is kind of fun uh, i think you're realistic you are the most recent game to come out that's uh elder scrolls themed so that's really exciting so why don't i introduce you guys we'll start with gavin gavin do you want to introduce yourself and what you do with modifius yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Gavin. I am the uh, line manager for the Elder Scrolls line. I'm senior project manager at Modifius, uh, and I'm also the business visionary for the Elder Scrolls line as well, um, which means that I, um, I'm i the one who pitches all the ideas for the new sets and new supplements and so on and so forth to Chris, and he's the one who gets to tell me, no, that's a terrible idea. We can't do that. <laughs> or that, That's amazing. Make me 5,000 of them um and that's me awesome and then chris below hello uh so i'm chris birch i'm the founder of modifius um uh and my kind of new job title is uh chief creative officer so i get to do lots of creative things um like and, and part of that is working with gavin on elder scrolls so particularly <laughs> i stuck my nose in to write a big solo campaign which is my my big uh kind of topic of interest is solo and co-op gaming so I'm, I'm doing the settlement building campaign which we've called Fainhold saga as a working oh, nice. title at the moment yeah that was one of the things when i was uh first heard about the call to arms that really excited me because i like one is 2020 and we're not getting together with as many people and going to the like game workshop style stores as much as we used to be. So hearing that there was going to be that solo element to Call to Arms was really exciting for me because I was like, oh, great, there's something that I can really get into because I've got three kids now. I'm trapped at home. We're 
so I'm not getting out nearly as much as I used to. But <laughs> it's really nice that there's still like an element of the gameplay that uh, people can. Get I think. Uh, I think alone. it's just COVID has brought to the front like the fact that actually there are a lot of people at home who don't have a lot of time for gaming, and yeah. it's you know it's amazing to see so many war game designers you know uh, churning out a quick, quick and dirty or a proper detailed uh solo companion of some form for their systems i mean god even games workshop uh put out a solo system oh, did they? for agency Mart in uh it's in the last issue of white dwarf i think which is uh, i was like yes they're copying us finally <laughs> i know that's it's like the imitations this year sincerest form of flattery kind of, of thing course, there. You're yeah, like, okay clearly got the idea from us anyway but um yeah. uh yeah so it's and uh, you know when i was a kid which is a long time ago <laughs> um I, I grew up in a town without any wargamers, and I'd be lucky to, you know, get my parents to drop me over to the nearest town. I'd go and play old historical war games in a pub with 25 mil Napoleonics or 6 mil uh, modern. Well, not very modern now, but, um, uh, uh, you know, and it was very, very hard to get a game in. So I would write all my own solo co-op gaming systems and, and just kind Amazing. of figure out how to play myself. So it's, you know, so I've kind of kept that, you know, all the way since we launched Fallout and now Elder Scrolls. So I was like, it's got to have a great AI. It's got to yeah, have a great AI. That's brilliant. You know, let's, I love let's that. Let's make that a key, a key thing about it. Yeah, it was always built into the rules from the ground upwards that there would always be a solo component to it. Yeah. And we, we spent a lot of the time trying to make it. And we also wanted to make it so that it wasn't two separate games in the same box, but there was a lot of commonality between them. So you can switch between the two relatively easy without having to remember a load of different rules. We only use this rule in battle mode and that rule in delve mode. There are, of course, differences, um, but we wanted to make sure that the, the transition between the two would be as seamless as possible because then you can... Uh, you can easily use both of them in a, any form of campaign play, which is something that Chris has picked up in Thanehold as well. We also um, added, and oh, it was amazing, Bethesda let us do this. So we added the entire starter set to Tabletop Simulator. Yeah. Um, so including actually beautiful 3D models that have got this nice ink wash on them. Our lead uh, 3D guy, Johnny, did an awesome job on it. Uh, so my brother has been our, our minion helping uh, put it together. He's really got into Tabletop Simulator during COVID. So he put the entire game in for us. So it's basically for free, like that's everything, so cool. like all three starter sets and miniatures, even all the terrain that's, you know, beautiful drag and tomb walls and arches. So you can have a lot of fun creating dungeons. Uh, and so we, we just thought, you know what, people, we just need to let people play it yeah. while in lockdown because if you're not playing it, you're not collecting it. So um so that was our, our kind of gift to the community to help them through the dark <laughs> dark times so yeah 2020 yeah, has been interesting so that's actually one of the interesting questions i was going to ask you is kind of how the pandemic really affected because it's it's such a social aspect having like the war gaming the tabletop but yeah. that makes complete sense that you're you're like well let's move a little bit of it to online and have some of that yeah. there too yeah it's interesting that um sales of miniatures have been pretty strong i think because everyone's been getting through their their pile of shame <laughs> gradually <laughs> painting miniatures up because yeah. they've got nothing else to do and you know it's one thing you at least you can do at home is paint so miniatures have done pretty well actually but whereas i think um, board games that don't have a solo or co-op 
mechanic had you know haven't been as big but actually in general the, the industry's done really well that's good through the lockdown it, it's retail that struggled you know it's yeah, it's yeah. you know i feel for yeah. little stores who uh, we've, we've got half the traffic yeah we've we've had i mean there's been challenges for sure we've had a lot of problems with our um, logistics our global logistics because yeah. um you know covid has just literally talk not literally figuratively torpedoed um any kind of international shipping and transit and we've had some yeah. real problems in um getting product to people as well and getting product to us as well you know we've had ships that have been backwards and forwards to port three or four times before they've been unable to yeah. unload containers and stuff the, the british of course are very good at stabbing themselves in the back <laughs> whilst they're down on the ground Just, no please let me stab myself a few more times so you know brexit has come at the worst time because not yeah. only do or are not only are our ports shut because of uh, the covid increase but um and not only are is it very difficult to get containers because they're all stuck in ports but you know we've now got these massive issues of, of of duties and having to sort out the new brexit paperwork there's big surcharges going on i've just heard like you know we're gonna have to pay uh, there's going to be another £4.50 surcharge on every kilogram being shipped between us and uh, oh, Europe yeah. and Europe to here wow. uh, on courier packages. So, you know, anything over two kilos. So anyone in Europe sending us or us sending Europe is just horrific yeah. pricing. So a, a two kilo book is going to cost you £9. That's, so that's one. Uh, just in shipping. Well, just in shipping alone, let alone all no, the not other. Not in shipping, just in, in charges. So yeah, just in charges for shipping. Yeah, let alone the shipping oh, cost. Yeah, so it's and let alone the cost of the book. Yeah, yeah. So how it's you, um... <laughs> how do you keep your prices so consistent? Uh, well, sometimes we just <laughs> absorb the price rises, but yeah. um, obviously, with you know, for for the first month, we're just going to take it on the chin and absorb it whilst we figure out because they've still got to do a deal. Hopefully, they'll do a deal to give us all the common market um you know because which basically means you know that there's no customs barrier between the uk and europe yeah um and if if they don't then we'll just open a warehouse over in europe and ship stuff in and then we won't have all those charges you know but one of the advantages we do have is that we have our own um own in-house mini miniatures manufacturing uh facility oh, down in cornwall as well so all yeah. of the resin miniatures are produced in the uk well, that's um, awesome yeah, and uh, plastics are produced by our partners in China, yeah. um, which is yeah. you know which is really nice because it means that we can turn we can turn the uh, resins around really really quickly, and the plastics we tend to have to order in large batches anyway. Yeah, because mm. which is why we're not doing more plastics at the moment because yeah. of China's shipping issues and cost issues so it's um yeah. but the great thing with resin it you know doing your own resin it means you've got more control of the costs and yeah and, um you know at the moment <laughs> there won't be any any changes in you know product prices but um you know we don't know what's going to happen with you yeah 2021 is going to be an interesting yeah. I mean, year <laughs> the great thing the between yeah between here and the us you know it's it's fine you know there's no issues at the moment so there we go that's the boring awesome. bit of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. I, don't know. I, find that, I find this stuff let's incredibly talk, exciting to, to talk about. Okay, uh, let's get into something more interesting then. Uh, how did Call to Arms come about? Were you Elder Scrolls fans before, or um, was your previous relationship with Bethesda just evolved? Well, we obviously, we started with Fallout. That was our big 
yeah. thing and it was it was mm-hmm. enough for the you know the first deal was like let's do fallout and uh we did a really good job with that they oh, i mean we must have done like 500 sculpts there was only like three or four that they had a problem with you know often because the model's based on some guy's girlfriend um and you know or, or it was, yeah. uh, and, and you know and obviously it's like you know she wants it to look like her not you know not like the the game model yeah and uh or it's um you know it was the sentry bot that you know for example that the head was part of the body and the sculptor wanted that is the head is quite important feature of the character and they wanted it to be a separate piece that was it it wasn't like the head yeah. looks terrible it was just like can you make it a separate piece so that they can turn it you know um, and it, we've had the same thing with Elder Scrolls. You know, they've, they've loved the miniatures. But I, um, you know, once Fallout was established and doing well, uh, I was like, why don't we do the same thing with um, Elder Scrolls? It's a, it's a great opportunity. We've got a great system that we, you know, we'd rewrite for it. Yeah. Um, you know that you love our miniatures that we're doing. Um, and we'd always wanted to do a kind of cool fantasy uh, miniatures game. Um, so it was a bit of a that, no-brainer. Was that, did you guys approach uh, Bethesda at first to say, hey, we would like to do this? Or did they approach you? Or was it like an intermediary? Yeah, in the yeah we, we asked them. I think we were up for renewal on our contracts. So we were like, hey, when we renew, could we add this in as well? We yeah. think we could do a really awesome but job even, with it. Even the original relationship with Fallout, was that? Uh, oh, um, yeah, no, that, I've, I've known them for years because I had a t-shirt company before oh. Modifia. So I was doing um, video game t-shirts under the name Joystick Junkies. And awesome. I was always talking to Bethesda about doing some clothing. We never ended up doing it, but I got to know some of them yeah. quite well. I'd see them at E3 and, and different events. And uh, when we got Modifius going, I was thinking about what I was, what we were going to do next. We'd, we'd done Star Trek. I was like, okay, we did Star Trek. What's next? Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I know the people at Bethesda. Why didn't I think about <laughs> pitching Fallout? Duh. Um, so I kind of got hold of them, and I said, um, how about uh, I go Fallout Warhammer? And they were like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and, um, um, and it, you know, it took these, these big deals take about ages. It's about three yeah. years to go through because you know they wanted to know who we are and the people oh, were doing it were really busy and then they yeah. changed and then the new person got involved and then we got talking about it and then you know and then suddenly it happened if you know if it's 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 funny with these things once they kind of give you time and they're like okay let's let's work on this then it it can happen really just, quickly yeah. and it yeah it's a big serious deal and you've got to get lawyers involved and all kinds of stuff it's um um you know it's tough to get going but once you get going then i mean they're one of the best companies we work with they're super lovely they're all gamers Mm -hmm. they love our stuff we love their stuff we love their games it's kind of (laughs) there's no real downside yeah i mean of course we pay them lots of money so um it helps a lot um, but um but you know we all make we all make money together and we make some really awesome toys and get to play in the, in this amazing, fantastic world. So, you know, we've probably all played enough. I mean, I've, I, I'm on my, I mean, I'm only on my second run through of Skyrim. <laughs> so, I'm on, but, I think I've um, got about three run throughs going on at yeah, the same yeah. time. At the moment. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm like, I'm probably on my second one, but my first one probably has like 300 and some hours. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, have, yeah. I have like, uh, third time through thousands of hours on each yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. Like, yeah yeah 
so that's the great thing that we all shared a lot of this you know this all the shared experience so when you see a miniature you're like oh my god that it's actually them isn't it, it like actually yeah. looks like having that little physical representation of the game that you can hold in your hand like as i look at behind all of our screens there's all these like collectibles and stuff from different <laughs> game series and stuff like that it's yeah. like and there's something very special about having that like physical item you can hold versus it just being on the screen and you're playing with it so that's one of the things like i always loved with like the tabletop and like the war gaming it's like that physical yeah, yeah. i mean it's funny that i, I love playing stuff on tabletopia <laughs> Uh, sorry tabletop simulator yeah um but and it's you know you, you can get all these miniatures and terrain and you can set it up and leave it there overnight because <laughs> you don't have to worry about a cat hopping <laughs> up amazing, and right? we can come back in five weeks and the game's still there it's incredible yeah. no one's cleared it away uh and the cat hasn't knocked three of the models <laughs> off the table <laughs> so um but there's nothing you know it's the some of course there's something to like actually picking up a miniature and painting it and like building yeah. it and you can't replace that you know so um, yeah so cool there's also something because we we obviously are we're deciding what we produce and there's something really nice about thinking okay so i've got a new chapter coming up i know what my themes for the chapter is going to be uh, let's look at what sets we can put in there. What factions have I got? How do I break this down into sensible sets of five or six figures or whatever? And who are those five or six figures in a set going to be? Once you've decided that, you then get to do the fun job of, right, now I want this guy standing like this and he's firing a fireball and you have to find all the reference pictures yeah. and that kind of stuff, which we then pass on to um, our sculptors who have become very adept at reinterpreting my random ramblings about <laughs> yeah they've got to have a magic effect around their hand that looks all glowy and spiky and they're like eh, okay um <laughs> and then eventually you know they come back with with uh, you know the, the t-pose and the figure roughs and that kind of stuff um which we all talk about and you know we then approve and send off to bethesda but then the end process of that is when you finally get you know this little figure that you can hold in your hand yeah. and being able to say yep I thought of that. I posed that. They sculpted it, and now we made it. And it's 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 awesome. That's it's really game. really good. Oh, I can imagine. How much do um, fan favorites? Um, how does that factor into what you design for the community? So when we uh, when we at the very beginning of the of my involvement with um, Elder Scrolls, I was brought on board to to manage Elder Scrolls. As a line um, and at the very beginning chris had already run some community surveys and we run more surveys from time to time to look at what were the most popular factions and what yeah. people were really looking forward to finding out and we use that as a guideline for the kind of sets that we're looking for releasing um, but at the same time we have to keep in mind that this is a miniatures war game and so there are a lot of figures that people want that just don't work as a war game and would look really great as a figure, but yeah. you know don't necessarily have a place um, within a within a competitive war game. And is there so, an example of that you can share, or is that all hush hush top secret? Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, one of the sets that people are asking for a lot and is a set that i would really really love to produce is cicero and the night mother oh, in yeah. their car but you know cicero on the battlefield doesn't really have a massive impact so he doesn't fit into one of those regular sets really really well yeah. now one of the things that people will know 
if they see any of my ramblings on various social media posts that I put up, is that uh, my caveat is we will never make that until we do. <laughs> yeah, that's always, I, I always love that answer for most things. It's like, why would you ever want this until you want it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's not to say that any of those figures, I mean, some of the other ones like, um, you know, talking about Morrowind, for instance, loads of people say, oh, I would love an Almexia and Sothacil and things like that. And like, yeah, but. Yeah, how do you add you a really, god into it? How do you put that into a skirmish game? You know, it, it yeah. doesn't fit in. Yeah, Vivek shows up and just recreates the world, and then the skirmish was over. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a. So, whilst they might make for amazing miniatures or Pikachus in some cases, you know, to, yeah. some of these figures could be absolutely enormous. Um, whilst they might make for really great pieces, we need to keep in the back of our mind that they need to be playable as well. Yeah, that's fair. That makes sense, too. Um, <laughs> So I kind of guess that kind of brings us to the next question of like, what is the process that you go through when you're starting to design either new models or new campaigns or scenarios? Like, what do you start with? Do you kind of just feed through some information or? Yeah, so as the visionary, I set the general direction for each of the chapters. And within that, we break it down into the products that we want within that chapter. Chris has overall creative control on that. So as I say, if there's anything in there that he desperately wants then he'll instruct me in which direction we need to go if there's stuff in there that he doesn't think is going to work um then we can head it off at the pass and you know both chris and i are both uh avid war gamers we, we approach it from slightly different ends of the spectrum chris is very very much a narrative uh war gamer and i am very much a tactical war gamer which means that we get a really nice balance of yeah. play styles appear in the products as well um, so I will then present to the senior management team within uh, Modifius my vision for the chapter, which will include all the products that I think that we need to include. More often than not, the SMT will have some good ideas about additional products that we need to put in there as well. Um, and that then forms the basis of the, of the structure for that wave. That's then broken down into individual products, which are then briefed. Um, again, each brief is then approved by Chris from a creative point of view and the SMT are then passed on to a development team or external developers. So Mark Latham tends to do the, the backbone work for stuff. So he will do the card packs, for instance. Um, and then our internal dev team will look at all of the testing and recommendations. And the end result is then a collaboration between Mark and the dev team. And then we also have products which are developed entirely in-house. And we're seeing a few of those that are just reaching fruition now. So the, the, the first and largest of those will be the Stormcloak Rebellion supplement, yeah. which is in, in approvals with uh, Bethesda at the moment. Um, and then for figures, I mentioned kind of the briefing process earlier on, how we, how we go through that. You know, we yeah. pull together a lot of reference information for the sculptors to work on, and they produce first drafts. And then everything goes off to Bethesda for their approval, as Chris mentioned at the top of the chat. And they're kind of just think... like the final. I would... Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't, so far, the only feedback we've had for them has been practical things. So this yeah. writing is too small or, you know, you've misspelt this word or something like that. Yeah. Um, we've not had this anything so with 18,000 syllables or like <laughs> consonants in it. You missed the, you missed the eighth Z in this. How dare you? Yeah. I mean, the, the good yeah. thing is everyone who's working on it, the sculptors and writers and all of us, yeah. we're, they're all super fans for Elder Scrolls. Yeah. So there isn't someone sculpting a Karjit who hasn't played around in yeah. Elder Scrolls and knows exactly what Karjits look like. And yeah. You know, yeah. they pop back into the game and spawn them. 
to just remind themselves and take screen grabs and stuff. So it's <laughs> yeah, it's super obsessive. And we always find people that love the world to work on it because there's no point otherwise. Why do you want someone working on a world who's not exactly? Like, yeah. uh, you want the passion to be there. And yeah. the good thing is, um, do you use UASP and Imperial Library? We use all sorts of sources. Um, the Imperial <laughs> Library, yeah, we've used it a lot for um, some of the law background. Um, you, uh, you know, we use we use all sorts of places for our reference material. You're you're all bookmarked. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to hear. Uh, about how many? Just curiosity question. I just thought about how many people do you actually have at Modifius, like approximately? Um, it's. Um... Sure, I know. Yeah, it's thirty full time like that's, payroll people. Yeah, and then I assume there's contracts but, and yeah, yeah, uh, and then another and all that stuff. But God, probably about another ten who are equivalent payroll, but just in different countries, so they're yeah. just on contracts. But then probably about another hundred who mm. are just you know someone's doing editing whenever we send them stuff. Someone's doing yeah. a few thousand words here and there. Someone's doing. You know, we God, we've probably got about 20, 30 artists who are literally doing as much art as they can every week for us. That's whether amazing. they're full time or um, you know, they've got a job and piece they work do one thing, piece yeah. a day, one piece a week, you know, one piece every two or three days, you know. So that's amazing. It's really yeah. good because there there will often be yeah. those specialist skills that we might need that we don't need often enough to have somebody full time in house, but we can go to a we can go to yeah. a contractor externally just to do this one piece of work. And then we have a big pool of people that we know will produce quality work on time and at the right price, which is really yeah. good. Yeah. That's, and that's they get, to, they get to know our products too. Yeah. And it just develops a good working relationship there when you have those people that you can always just count on for stuff that you wouldn't be able to have full time, but then it works out really well yeah. for you guys. Exactly. That's really, really awesome. Yeah. I'm just looking through the list of, um, some of our questions here we've actually covered a lot of them already um i i see some of these questions that are about future things coming up so one of the one questions that i know the community asked i think it was uh the imperial library is are we going to see any future dragonborn variants that are not just typical humans like we have the argonians and the khajiit is there any plans for those kind of things to show up yes Ooh. Like that. <laughs> um, no other questions i won't follow up that question because i know that I, yeah, I know a lot of people happy we're planning um it's very very early in the planning stages at the moment so this is potentially for chapter four i think awesome. um looking at a couple of different options for bringing more variety into the dragonborns i mean the, the plan has always been that for every chapter there would be a couple of different Dragonborn variants. Yeah. Um, so we've we've seen in um, uh, in chapter two coming up, we've got um, uh, the Dragonborn Steadfast, for instance, and we had the Dragonborn Triumphant and the the, the regular Nord Dragonborn um, in the core set as well. And we've got more coming up. I've just finished briefing the two new Dragonborn that we've got for chapter three. Which we released a teaser for at ModCon. Yes. Who is awesome. <laughs> Just seen some some 3D shots of them and they look amazing. Um, and yeah, looking at chapter four, which is I'm just starting the uh, pitch for that for the SMT to approve. One of the options that we're looking at is uh, where in the past we've had sets of uh, sort of adventurer followers and adventure allies, we might just do a Dragonborn set. 
That'll and have sort of six different versions of the Dragonborn in it. You know, there might be a stealth archer, Khajiit version. There might be, a, I don't know, an Argonian barbarian, you know, a, a, a Bosma, something else. And just put a variety of races and kind of the archetypes of what you would see from the Dragonborn in it. And see how we go from there. That's really awesome. Um, so not to... This question doesn't mean you're making it. I want to preface this in advance, but are there any areas of the Elder Scrolls games that you really want to make something for? We, As you said, we know that there's sometimes there's stuff that you can't make, but is there any areas that you've ever been like, oh, like I really want to build like the Battle of Red Mountain or like something like that from Elder Scrolls kind of history that you've wanted to, but maybe you can't or it's just hasn't been the right time, maybe in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think we're not going to stay in Skyrim forever. Yeah um we'll, we'll move on to different ages um in the future or maybe a little sooner than the future oh. um, but we will move into um other ages certainly and i mean my first exposure to the elder scrolls was morrowind that was the same um, and so that was you know i i loved morrowind and i loved the design aesthetic of it as well yeah. um so at some point we'll be moving on to uh, morrowind and of course there's you know they're they're still live Elder Scrolls games at the moment, you know, we've, we've got Elder Scrolls online. We yeah. know that Elder Scrolls six is, uh, you know, the next coming version sometime. of Elder Scrolls <laughs> is coming sometime. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but for me, if it were anything, I mean, my, the, the, my dream product is a, is a build your, build your own Dragonborn set is a multi-part plastic. Oh, Dragonborn that would be set. really cool. But there's lots of challenges involved <laughs> with doing that. And it's, it's really, really not easy. And it's something that sits on our, on our back burner yeah um, i can imagine it just it's just hard to do because oh, if yeah. you can imagine you'd need so many parts that um to give the different options that you'd you'd either have to have a set i guess that could make like six different models for yeah. all kinds of like body part oh body yeah types. that'd be like i feel if like you have be... an argonian in a robe versus an Argonian in armor. And, you know, yeah. it's like, um, it'd be hundreds of so, pieces. Just to yeah. throw out an idea, um, whenever, if you get to the Shivering Isles, you already have, um, one model, which was the astronaut that guards the gate that you rebuilt and he has different parts. So maybe some inspiration <laughs> for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, there's so much we can do. I mean, as you know, there's, I mean, there's so many awesome, like, types of gameplay like you know yeah. i want to do bigger battles i want to do longer campaigns i want to take people on kind of epic journeys um with you know that with a handful of warriors and you end up yeah. with an army you know so it's all kinds of fun stuff we can do inspired by all those great books you know and the kind yeah. of stories of battles and if you you know especially when you look at some of the you know the great concept art from skyrim um clearly you know they've thought you know, beyond just one hero running around. So it'd be yeah. great to replay that. That's a great segue into our next question, actually. What are your thoughts about wargaming for the purposes of telling a story or interacting with a world? So for me, um, because uh, I know there's so many war games that do the competitive um, mm -hmm. gameplay very well. There's no point trying to compete with that. And I, I come at wargaming from a storytelling perspective. So I, um, I'm looking at what, what story can I tell with the, the board and the miniatures and the components that we've got and what 
where can we go with this? Because I'm not really bothered about winning. And, I, and my challenge to us is always, what if we can make a, a story or a scenario where you actually don't want to win because it would be more interesting to lose the battle because yeah. of your mm-hmm. story gets to evolve. Um, and you could argue that the beginning of Skyrim games is you lost the last battle, right? You, you yeah. start off as a prisoner. You, whatever happened, you lost. Yeah. But wow, how amazing is the story now, right? Because you get yeah. to evolve and become this awesome, awesome thing. So everything we're trying to do, you know, like the Thanehold saga is, um, you know, you make choices through the missions that affect who the final nemesis is going to be. They might be completely different based on various choices you make. Um, the, the final scenario is going to play out differently depending on choices you make, depending on how you decide to train your troops as you build them up, how you, you know, interesting choices you, you make as you discover things uh, affect who your background is, like who were your ancestors, why were they important to this story? Um, and so that's why I've, you know, I'm trying to build that into our, our, you know, I see our the war game as a storytelling exercise that, um, yes, it's you can have a great one-off, you know, dungeon crawl with you and some friends against a bunch of Draugr or raiding a Stormcloak camp. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm much more interested in the, the campaign storytelling because, yeah. you know, Elder Scrolls, like any other great RPG, is is this big, long story. And I'd like to think that we can... Um, give you your own, you know, miniature world to to evolve through and and discover things about. So it's we're going to be seeing a constantly evolving product line that, um, you know, we're we're not, um, you know, we're trying to experiment with different things. We're going to go in different directions and try some really cool ideas. So hopefully, it'll give lots of people plenty of stuff to play with. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I I love that. Yeah, that's such a good outlook on everything there. Yeah. Awesome. What about you, Gavin? Yeah, so, I mean, I I come at it from a um, slightly different place from Chris. And I'm, as, as I said earlier on, I'm much more of a tactical war gamer. So I enjoy kind of like, I enjoy kind of the intellectual exercise of using the units and the troops that I have to the best of their abilities. But I, I'm not a, right, you've got a thousand points, I've got a thousand points. Let's put down two woods, two hills and a house. And I line up this side and you line up that side and off you go. I'm much more interested in interesting uh, scenario design that really tests people's ability to think, not just their ability to create the perfect army list. So I like those scenarios that are unusual, those battles that are a bit asymmetric maybe, um, that where you know your objective, going to something that Chris has said, your objective is not necessarily just to beat the enemy, but you have an objective you have to achieve, which you may be able to do without engaging. Maybe you've got to preserve your force or you've got to exit off the battle or you've got to hold this position until you're reinforced or something like that. But the kind of the classical tactical conundrums that commanders face that aren't just we're two equal enemies and we're meeting in a meeting engagement and fighting in the middle of the field. That that doesn't really hold interest for me. I, I, I much I much prefer something that will give you an interesting game. Yeah, that makes sense too. Yeah, because that's one of the like freeing things with wargaming is it's not as rigid of setups as like it's when you have a video game. There's like so many rules based on the actual game itself, 
Whereas Wargaming, you can have a little bit more creativity with it. You can get a little bit more involved with the stories and feel more. It's, it's just such a different scenario, but it's still kind of that same base. I love it. I just, I don't know, just get excited. Yeah, you. I also think that if you, you know, if you are, I mean, it doesn't necessarily apply so much with um, Elder Scrolls, but if you're looking at Wargaming as a tool to, you know, refight historical battles, you're very rarely going to find a historical battle where the two sides were even, because what sensible yeah. commander would engage the enemy on e equal terms? Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it was General Patton that said he wouldn't engage without a five to one advantage. It doesn't yeah. make for a great war game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like every game just like, okay, well, let's fight. Oh, yeah. So we know this is going to end. And yeah, you don't want the end of them, like you were saying, with like the battles and stuff like that. You don't necessarily want to know what the ending is going to be when you start it. Like there's some historical, even historical in lore of Elder Scrolls battles. Like we know what happened. You don't necessarily yeah. just want to tell that story of like being like, oh, yeah, this is when the Nords won. So if you're on yeah. the Nord team, guess what, guys? You're going to have a better yeah. time. It's interesting that um, I think uh, historical wargamers were the first real narrative wargamers because they recreated battles that actually weren't even to see what would happen if whether the other side could win. If there were changes they made. Or, yeah. yeah, and they weren't, you know, historical wargames are typically, you know, when you're refighting games are not balanced at all yeah. from a point perspective. So it's quite interesting that it's, you know, and I think that's more interesting. I'd rather be on an outmatched side, try, you know, the ch it's like a chess, it's a chess puzzle. Yeah. It's like, how do you get out of checkmate? Okay, wait, wait a minute. I've cracked it. If I do this, this, I can, I can hold out long enough and get off the board with half my force and get a minor victory or whatever, you know, it's, it's that, yeah. it's that puzzle that you want to yeah. get through. I also think that something that Chris is saying about, you know, sometimes being defeated can be more interesting than winning easily. You know, if you look at the classical hero's journey, uh, yeah. Ramsey Campbell talks about the hero's journey. You know, part of that is being defeated. It's the yeah. end of the Empire Strikes Back. You know, it's at the low point before you rise up to your before you rise up to your triumph, and that makes for really compelling storytelling. When you know the not everything always goes right for the hero or the heroes. Yeah. And overcoming adversity like that is is a really, really great yeah. storytelling mechanic. Uh, what are the other questions we want to do? Is there, so is there any, what what is one of the things that you're most proud of from Call to Arms? Like if they're like a specific figure you've made or mechanic you've kind of told with them, like we, I know that you're proud of, you love the fact that you brought that like single player element to it, but is there anything specific that you, that you kind of like, you have, a, like you look at, you're like, yeah. <laughs> the dragon i mean we always knew we were going to be doing a dragon from we need know, to chris talk more about the dragon very, in a minute too chris, chris was very very clear that there was going to be a dragon <laughs> you can't not make dragons in skyrim right you can't like, not yeah. have a dragon it doesn't matter you know, how, oh. scale, how big the game is it's like yeah um so you know finding a way to bring the dragon to the tabletop in a way that is first of all that it isn't just half the tabletop yeah. And also in a way that means that, you know, you can have it there and fight it and feel like it feels in, in the game as well. And, you know, the rules for that are still under development at the moment. We're still tweaking them. But I think it's going to be a really, really, uh, really, really great experience for people. And personally, I also really like the oaths as well, because that was my, you know, the oaths were my okay. idea. So I'm really pleased that they got in yeah, there. Yeah, I thought well. the, the oaths were, do you want to explain the oaths for anybody that might not know kind of yeah, what they are there? Yeah, sure. 
so it's not a revolutionary idea. There's plenty of other systems that uh, use it, but we've adapted it to uh, to Skyrim. So the idea of the oaths is that you can, before the battle starts, each side uh, may have their own oaths, or they may be a common selection of oaths that they can choose from. That will be essentially your your hero swearing that they will accomplish something during the mission. So it might be I will slay the first enemy, or um, you know, in the in the game that Chris and I played recently for um, ModCon, we had two oaths, uh, which were that we would kill an enemy before it got past a certain piece of terrain, and we would kill an enemy by dropping a giant portcullis on it. If you achieve those oaths... <laughs> so specific. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Well, there, there's two gaps that the enemies have to come through, and you yeah. can drop portcullis on the gap. Um, if you achieve those oaths, you get extra victory points. Um, but if you don't achieve the oaths, you lose victory points. Oh. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I always had the, ta- you know, the two songs that you hear everywhere in Skyrim, which is, you know, the Dragonborn comes, which is exhorting the deeds of the Dragonborn. And then there's Ragnar the Red as well. that talks about this <laughs> boastful <laughs> hero who is not all that he could be. Yeah. And I, you know, I always had it in the back of my mind that when we move on to campaign stuff for every oath you succeed at you know maybe you can assemble them into uh like epic poems or something you get four of them to get oh, better and you get a bonus but the that. flip side of that is that if you keep failing your oaths people will start writing nasty <laughs> songs about you <laughs> and you can oh, yeah. and you can lose reputation or something so that's that's something yeah. that i'm really proud of i hadn't thought of it as the idea of like the these are basically like lines lyrics from some of the bard songs and that's what yeah. they're gonna sing this is the the triumphant thing or the terrible mistake you made <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love yeah, that concept. Know, it's great dragonborn the rubbish he ran away he ran away <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and then chris do you have any any proud moments that you can think of uh, i guess I'm, I'm living through it because it's the campaign i'm working on at the moment which because yeah. i'm trying lots of mad ideas that you know i've picked up over the years and from you know the way the industry is going to to kind of create this campaign and put lots of cool stuff into it so you know it's getting being able to play in that world is the fun bit for me um so we'll see whether it works. <laughs> awesome. So back to Gavin talking about the dragons again. Is there anything you can really share? Because, okay, I saw that and like literally was just like, I need to have that. Because <laughs> it's yeah. beautiful, the, the stuff you shared with it. But you haven't shared, at least as far as I've seen, too much information about how they're going to work and what they're... Is there anything you can share yet or is it still pretty early in the development there? Um, well, I can. I, there's some stuff I can share with the caveat that uh, this is all it true and it's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the way that we're looking at it at the moment is the yeah, we have the three sizes of cards at the moment. So we have the mini euro cards, we have the poker size cards, and we have the larger educational size cards. The dragon will now have a larger size card uh, beyond that. So we're it's looking just like at a poster at this point. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of U.S. letter. I mean, they're all going to be print and play, so it's unlikely yeah. that we'll be um, actually making these cards until we do. Um, <laughs> the, the dragon's got a larger card, and within that, you at the moment you can equip various different dragon traits. Um, so you know, it might have a certain type of breath that it uses. It might have certain attacks. So some dragons, like the um, the serpentine dragons, for instance, from Dawnguard, I think, uh, they don't have a tail slap attack. 
um, and some of the dragons don't have a wing bash attack and some of them are more likely to bite you and some of them are more likely to try and claw you and that kind of stuff. So you can kind of build your dragon up in specs. And then also depending upon the strength of the dragon as well will depend upon what its stats will be. So Mormonir is the first dragon that you meet and although he's been around for ages, he's a relatively weak dragon in terms of dragons. So yeah. what we'll be seeing to start off with will be kind of the the entry level dragon entry which then means that in the future as we go on you know we can introduce more uh more of the, these print and play cards so that you can modify your dragon to be to be different things you know you might decide you want to, it to be an ethereal dragon for instance and we can give it a power where it's you know that's one of the summonable i think there's a couple of summonable ethereal dragons in different places mm -hmm. uh, or it might be that it is older and maybe it is more aggressive and you know all the way up to Alduin with his unique <laughs> shouts that he uses and stuff like that that would be such an interesting campaign actually with Alduin itself it's like okay stop the world from being eaten good luck yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's <laughs> a motivation for sure yeah. yeah 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 everyone's kind of be on the same page for that one well that's yeah, yeah it's absolutely um, awesome i literally have the the model up here right now on my screen it's just it's so good i'll probably put it in the video so that we can look at it but like it's <laughs> the sculptor did an amazing job on that like it's just it's, stunning the work on I, that. I was blown away we've we've yeah. got some amazing sculptors you know all of the and i am constantly amazed by the level of detail that they get into the figures oh absolutely just, and that's okay so it's 32 millimeters so that's a that's a big boy <laughs> he's pretty yeah. big there uh that'll be, that'll be interesting to see yeah i mean you could have gone absolutely massive but then you get kind of the problems of having to have yeah, something I'm, that large and yeah yeah it's it's i mean a part of the problem is we want to keep the shipping weight down we also don't want to be breaking people's tables with a huge chunk of resin <laughs> as well yeah yeah that'd be you know the resin version because the resin would be pretty, pretty yeah heavy there uh, and there's practical concerns to think about as well that when we uh when we master these they're often 3d printed as well so yeah. when you look at the splits one of the con one of the constraints is a the cost of a really big 3d print and b yeah. finding uh a, a print bed that is large enough to be able to print large pieces yeah. of uh miniatures like this so you, you always have to keep it in the back of your mind how are we going to manufacture this yeah when it's complete as well you know having a dragon rearing up with its wings outstretched is great until you can't fit the wings on a 3d printer bed without yeah. splitting them half down the middle yeah or having it like well every like one out of ten of these that we ship doesn't have a wing when it gets to the end yeah it's just so big and massive yeah. so yeah, that's really interesting. But yeah, I'm really excited to see what you guys having more coming in. Yeah, and the rule sets for the dragon, you know, will come with not just the rule sets as well, but we're, we're sending them out with, I think we've got like four or five dragon specific scenarios and then rules for including dragons in some of the existing scenarios as well. I know he's going to make a guest appearance in Thanehold as well, I think, Chris? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> 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 but it, it also gives twice us, free. It, it also gives us a template as well if we want to do other epic creatures in the future as well so yeah. if we wanted to do something like i don't know giants or you know silk striders or something like that oh, not that you do much fighting of silk striders but you know along those lines mammoths yeah. or something i don't know 
I don't know, actually a campaign about fighting like a, a mad silt strider that's escaped and <laughs> ravaging a town or something like that. That sounds glorious. Or you could uh, do a Dwarven Colossus. There's already a figure for it. Um, You can see it behind Pirates. Yeah. 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 That'd be a fun one true. too. Yeah, yeah. The more Dwarven ruined stuff would be really interesting. Mm. Well, was there now, any other questions you wanted to go over, Benefactor? I think we're probably uh, running close enough. The last one that I wanted to ask about is um, when. Uh, it was first announced there was originally going to be some launch uh, party scenarios and campaigns. Uh, whatever happened to those? They exist. They're still there. Um, just, you know, when we when we are allowed back out of our caves into the daylight and, the, <laughs> you know, the great tempest has passed, then we'll, we'll, be, we'll be looking at um, our organized play support. So the plan was always that we would have two threads for organized play, one of which would be a narrative thread similar to what you see for um, for what we've done in the past for Fallout. And the other one would be a set of tools to allow stores and clubs or whomever to run their own competitive um, competitive games or leagues and that kind of thing. Um, so they, they exist. It's just conditions just are really not conducive to supporting organized play at the moment. Yeah, yep. that's understandable too. Like it's people, you also kind of don't want to encourage people right now to be going out having parties and playing. Like if you could yeah. push people more to doing the things at home, then it kind of, yeah. that works out yeah. well. Yeah, that's, that's certainly part of it as well. You know, would it be responsible for us to be sending out all of these organized play kits and getting, you know, all these gamers suddenly struck down with COVID because of us? Yeah. And we've, yeah. we've got a lot more solo support coming. So the, the Civil War, mm book that's coming um, is a versus uh, uh, campaign where you're fighting your way across Skyrim but there's also a whole um, chapter on how to fight it as a solo game as well yeah you can fight the entire Civil War campaign as essentially a series of linked delve mode uh, quests where it's your band of Imperials or Stormcloaks fighting against the opposition as adversaries throughout the throughout the book. You have to lose a little bit of narrative fiat here and there to make sure that you're not just, you know, winning off your off of your own GMing choices. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you you can run the whole thing as a uh, solo campaign. Yeah. Amazing. Well I think that uh wraps up all the questions we had for you guys, but mm -hmm. I do believe uh, Gavin mentioned that you have some exciting surprises to share with us. So I might. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier on that we're, um, you know, we're going to be looking at other eras at some point. Um, and actually we've, uh, we've done some work on that already. So we have a new set that will be available for pre-order in the first part of next year is shipping towards the end of uh, quarter three, which I think you guys might be interested in. So if I just... We also, yeah, I also have no idea what this is at this point. They've kept it a complete secret from us, so I'm really excited. <laughs> We're excited, really excited. Yeah. And these, I'll say, these sculpts have actually been around right since the beginning, because when we first got the deal, um, uh, if you if you know Elder Scrolls as a brand, you've probably seen these uh, characters quite a lot. Here we go. Oh, Ooh. that looks. <laughs> Those are so, amazing. Those look <laughs> so good. So okay, let me just take a quick look off the top of my head. There is that man of Marco. Yeah. It is. Oh, so we've got the ESO crew in here. That's so exciting. 
Um, yeah, so describing what I'm looking at right here. Oh, this is amazing. So we've got the Elder Scrolls Online heroes from kind of the... Uh, <laughs> Cinematic the trailer. intro, the somatic trailer from the original game. We've got the Nord, the Breton, and uh, the High Elf. Uh, Nord's kind of like the warrior type. Oh, those look so good. <laughs> They're absolutely amazing. Those are brilliant. Oh, man, looking at this. So, yeah, so those are the original heroes from that. And then we've got Mana Marco, kind of the, the most famous necromancer, I will say, in all of Tamriel. Yeah. It took me a second too because I was uh, like, oh, go ahead. He's got a stuff of worms as well. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, there man. Look at that. Oh, be still my wallet. <laughs> 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 just looking at these. These are absolutely stunning. So, yeah, he's just going through Mana Marco, and now we've got the elf. Uh, do, you, do you guys have names for these characters at all? Or are no, they just. That's... Their, their official names are the Nord. The Nord, the High Elf, the Breton. The, um, doesn't the Elf Sorceress have a name? Now, um, I've, I've got a feeling because she's featured in quite a few videos now. Yeah, I don't think she has a name that we've ever heard. That's what I was just curious yeah. about. Uh, she looks exactly like uh, the actress from Lost, Evangeline Lilly, I've always thought. Like, looks <laughs> identical to, which I always thought was really funny. <laughs> so the, like, in my head, that's been her name. Um, yeah. Oh, these are absolutely stunning, though, guys. I'm amazed. Yes. They will be. They'll be available uh, first quarter next year, and we're also going to be releasing um, a little mini expansion for them as well. So you'll have all of the stat cards for Manamarco oh. and for the Starworms and for the uh, for those guys with a few scenarios for them as well. Yeah. That's so you better so bet cool. use them as adventurers. Um, in the game, of course, up to you yeah. if you cross the streams. But you know, down the line, yeah. of course, we we plan to return to ESO. That's so cool. Time. I don't. I it it kind of makes sense. Us. Yeah, we don't know that the vested from the Elder Scrolls Online actually can die. So is it possible <laughs> that they'll be able to? They'll still be living in obscurity somewhere as these crazy powerful creatures in uh, Skyrim. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean their, I like their power level is much higher than uh, the the heroes and the um, uh, the characters that we've seen for yeah. uh, Skyrim so far. So you, you can absolutely use them within your Skyrim games, but they are monsters. I can imagine. <laughs> I yeah. mean, the three Manamarco is designed to fight the other three by himself. Oh wow! Oh, well, wow. I, understandably. Yeah, awesome. which tells you a little bit about his his sort of power level i will yeah. say that y'all are doing justice to manny marco that I, i'm really happy about i'm glad you didn't go with the oblivion version <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's not, that's not really manny marco though it's just yeah. a guy who calls him marco mm -hmm. yeah oh this is absolutely exciting wow i'm over the i'm a huge elder scrolls online fan myself so seeing that um alone just as ex extraordinarily like the hype i have right now for that i'm really glad you guys are digging into the I, second i'm era sure the trolls um community is going to love this oh <laughs> definitely yeah because those three i think i have like the funko pops of all those three characters right behind me too which is kind of funny <laughs> right. so it's like having the actual models um so you said um, there's going to be in the future um uh, an expansion with within that timeline of elder scrolls online like you're just releasing the characters for now and in the yeah, future, so you're going to do a... 
the expansion that we're looking at focuses on those four characters and actually nice. it's based around some of the action that you've seen in the cinematic trailers as well so oh, you'll see amazing. Some, some scenarios that reference those and it may well be that they reference that they use some of the um, miniatures from elsewhere within our call to arms range so for instance the um i think it was the morrowind trailer that had a load of the dwemer animunculi yeah. running around with the spheres and what have you yep. so we're with the spheres and the centurion and the um, spiders are all part of our uh next release chapter oh, um, amazing that we, what about the we announced on. yeah what the about the story there too <laughs> there was a warden that was a part of that trailer as well <laughs> yeah so we, we do still have some more we do still have some more um sculpts uh for elder scrolls because as chris said there were some of the earlier sculpts that we did but then we decided yeah. to focus on skyrim so yeah you might see the warden at some point with his bear i like i was just like yes there was <laughs> Zip. <laughs> like that. that's yeah. so exciting guys that's going to be a really big mm -hmm. i'm excited for you guys to get that out there too because i think that'll be a big a big hit with the elder scrolls community mm -hmm. at large just look, look like as soon as i saw those i was just like wait no <gasps> Oh, it's so exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, we've also got another little bonus for you as well, which is we're going to be releasing an exclusive uh, scenario um, that you guys are going to be hosting for us, which is great. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, you'll be able to find that on the Imperial Library site to begin with. And then I think we'll be throwing it up on UESP after a little while uh, mm -hmm. once we get it all documented there. But since Benefactor did so much work getting this all set up and working on it, it makes sense to have it all there first, which is great. Um, but that's really exciting, yeah. It definitely is exciting. Do you want to give a little um, synopsis or a little high-level idea of what the scenario entails? A little tease for everybody? Yeah, so it's an interesting one. It's um, it's kind of, it's quite a small-scale one. There's not loads of models involved in it. Um, and it's kind of, it focuses on some of the, the more personal stories within the... Um, uh, the civil war in Skyrim and it's all to do with switching allegiances and um, oh. you know trying to recruit people to your side within the war and there's two two of the iconic heroes of the war are trying to convince people that their side is the best and they're in competition with one another amazing mm -hmm. awesome well unless you guys have any other incredible surprises like that one for us <laughs> might be <laughs> <laughs> awesome well thank you guys so so much for letting us chat with you about call to arms it's been fantastic it's been really nice getting to know you guys and learning a bit more about the games too and i really appreciate it. and thank you benefactor uh and everybody at the imperial library for helping get this set up too i'm really excited about it and i can't wait to see what else you guys come up with in the future definitely it's been great, great. thank you for having awesome. us thank you yeah well, thanks I'm a lot guys I'm Pylon with the UESP, and I want to thank everybody for tuning in, too, to check this out. I think you guys will be very pleasantly surprised about what's happening and coming up in 2021, and we hope to see you guys again soon. Thank you, guys, everybody, again. Cheers. Right. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.